Each episode, we bring you B2B leaders to learn about their successes, fouls, and what's working for them in the market. If you enjoy the show, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple and Spotify and share this podcast with a friend. That's enough from me. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with X-Growth. And today, I'm talking to Tim Beveridge, founder and CEO of Modern Marketing Group and CMO of Versant, about whether you should go and explore an opportunity in the agency land or think about going on the client side and working on that front. I think this is a pretty topical conversation considering how a lot of uh, shifts are happening in the in the workspace and, and employment space. A lot of people are moving around. Uh, the great resignation is is upon us. Um, some say it's probably at the, at, towards the end of it, but we'll, we'll see how that, that, that turns out. But we're going to be talking about agency versus client side and what you need to take into consideration. What are some of the benefits? What are some of the pros and cons? And uh, and dive deep into that. So on that note, Tim, thanks for joining us. Hi, great to be here. Absolute pleasure. So this is uh, this is this is the second time we're uh, we're on a kind of podcast slash webinar. So it's it's great to uh, great to have you back, Tim. <laughs> that was about two years ago. That was that was uh, post pre COVID. That was a uh, yeah. that was a different world back I then. Well, I don't think it was quite. I think it was just as COVID hit, and I'm still in the same room. <laughs> you haven't moved, eh? <laughs> I haven't left. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Mm. So you have spent time on both sides. You've spent time on the agency side. You've t- spent time on the client side. Mm. I want to. I want to get into the the crux of it and talk about you know at a high level what are some of the differences between between the two yeah i have i have spent time on client side and agency side i actually started my career client side moved agency side and spent 25 years on the agency side in different kind of roles through media and digital and creative agencies and and then in the sort of software space uh in sort of big enterprise tech and and sort of marketing strategy there um you know, at a high level, I think, I think in a way, I think it's a false dichotomy. Is you know, client side people think client side is very, very different from agency side, um, and each side looks at each other as if they're slackers and don't know what they're doing. <laughs> um, but the truth is that everyone's working very hard on both sides, and everyone's kind of bringing their full energies to the table every day. It's just that sometimes the kind of um, you know tensions at play on, on on those on the other side from where you are. Um, a little bit hard to see. I think the two things that are really different is the pace is really different. I think agency side is, um, in my experience anyway, uh, full on all the time, um, but with some sh- with, but in short bursts. So you're full on one project, then you're full on another project, and you're full on another project or a pitch or whatever. Client side is full on all the time, but it's more relentless. The the kind of the projects and the initiatives are more ongoing doesn't have a sh- uh, sort of a fixed input and fixed output or a fixed start time and fixed end time. It tends to be a little bit more ongoing and because you're thinking strategically about the growth of the of the brand and the, the marketing initiatives over time, you're seeing a much longer horizon in front of you. Often in agency land, you're seeing a, you know, an eight week or three month horizon with a client and then it's sort of over and done. And so both full on, but just a little bit more relentless and, and kind of a lot more continuity on client side than agency side. 
And the other thing I'd say is the real difference is just a sense of professional community. Um, in agency, you know, everyone around you knows at least 50% of what you do. <laughs> and if you're junior in that, there's people that can help you kind of grow and improve in how you deliver that. Uh, deliver your work. If you're senior, then you've, you know, probably got people that you can use as a sounding board and can kind of help you grow in that way. Um, but client side, I mean, it can be a huge um, vacuum of professional community, actually. Uh, it sort of makes sense that, you know, on the surface of it, of course, you're paid to do a job and um, client side organizations tend not to pay two people to do a job. <laughs> Sometimes they do when they've got large offerings, but as you get more senior, there are fewer and fewer people. And certainly when you get to CMO, there's only one CMO. And so it's a, it's a massive vacuum and it can get very lonely. And, and, you know, outside of, you know, marketing, the marketing team, no one cares about marketing, <laughs> you know, no one cares about marketing. No one has the depth of, you know, experience in marketing that the marketing team have. No one understands the implications of the nuanced conversations. And so it can get quite lonely and it can get, uh, you know, very difficult. I, I suppose as marketers, we all see success in a certain way. You know, and if we're talking, I don't know, if we're talking brand equity or we're talking customer experience or whatever we're talking about, we understand in, in, innately the kind of importance of those things. Um, but when you get outside the marketing group and into other parts of the organization, generally the other parts of the organization don't care at all, <laughs> you know, about that stuff. So if you're talking about your amazing execution and how it's building brand equity, they don't really care. That's not a sign of success to them, you know? And so I have heard, I have heard this prior to kind of, you know, moving back to client side that, that, you know, it's kind of a bit lonely. But I don't think I really uh, understood it at the depth that I understand it now in that if I'm trying to show my team, uh, you know, and my kind of input as being effective and kind of commercially impactful and those kinds of things, I can't rely on any latent knowledge of anything theoretical or strategic or, or anything. I have to just fight the fight that's in front of me. And so what's interesting about that is that I can think I've done an amazing job and I can actually have numbers to prove that. But then people won't necessarily agree that the numbers say what I think they say. <laughs> so I can say in this role, I can say, I got, you know, a gazillion leads. And I'll say, but they weren't really leads. And I can say, well, no, but you said that they were leads <laughs> when we had the first conversation. And now you say, you know, so it's, you know, my, my sort of signs of, you know, doing effective work, even, even right down, you know, to uh, very commercial, very numbers focused analyses can mean something totally different depending on the conversation I'm having and who I'm having them with. You know, so, so those two things really, pace and sense of professional community are the, are the core differences. And I think the horizon, you also talked about the horizon of like how far you're, you're looking at in, uh, in the agency world. What are, what are some of the what are, we, we, we touched on some of the client side stuff. What are some of the cons of the agency? And then after that, I want to come talk about the, the benefits. But what, what are some of, the, some of the disadvantages of the agency world? Okay, so preface this, but it depends on the agency you're part of. You know, there's lots yes. of different agencies that do lots of different things. Have, there's some agencies who have amazing leaders. There are other agencies who have actually pretty terrible leaders. Obviously not going to name names. I think... 
One of the key things I would see in my former colleagues across different agency types working at different sort of practices, I talk about practice, so media is a practice, digital is a practice, creative agency is a practice, PR is a practice. Different practices, I suppose what I've seen is that people operating within a practice often discount the value of other practices. And that's either because they see the competitive pie as fixed and so they see other agencies at the table with the client as stealing their money, effectively. So they're trying to discount the capability or the impact of other practices that are also around the table in order to grab more kind of share of a fixed budget. Um, or they're just naive. Or they've only worked in that practice and they've got no understanding of any of the other practices. And so, they, you know, it's their opinion and they're nice people, but they're naive about the impact of those other practices. What I think, you know, after, you know, 25 years of cross-training across different practices is that all those practices are important and it's important that all of those practices are brought to the table in the right way at the right time and given sort of freedom to operate. And so I suppose what the cons about working in an agency and particularly in one agency and one practice is that you can just get to, you can get too deep and too siloed in your thinking about what marketing is and the, and, and the value that you deliver to your client relative to other things. Uh, and so from a career standpoint, I would, or for a career planning perspective, I would suggest that you should be thinking about how you can cross train, how you can build a body of knowledge, build a, a capability and build a fluency with other practices. Because what it'll mean is you become a double adapter. Even if you're working in one practice for the rest of your career, you will still be able to collaborate with different practices more effectively, more constructively, and you'll be able to positively contribute. And positive contribution just means that your client's brand grows. It means your team grows. It means that your the work you do is better. Um, I think a lot of agencies, because of that short, you know, they're looking at this month's numbers and next month's numbers. They're not thinking about a longer term thing. Often they cut off opportunity that they could have really fostered by not understanding the kind of benefit or the value of other practices or how those other practices work. You know, so so the cons of agency is that kind of narrow kind of worldview. I'd say also, and, and so if you're working in an agency environment, you need to be aware of your age relative to everyone else's age. Because like it or not, well, like it or not, agencies tend to be younger. I was, I remember standing at an all hands when I was at DDB and the CEO or the MD at the time got up and said proudly, our average age is 27. <laughs> and I went, I was 28 and I was like, oh, Jesus, I'm already over the hill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so if you want to have a long career, you, you know, you put yourself, I think you put your best foot forward if you can kind of cross train. That's one kind of one piece of advice I'd give. You know, I, you know, there's that DDB story about average age being 27. I'm not sure what it is now, but, you know, it was 27 back then. I've also never been to a retirement party. Oh, wow. And in the agency world? In 25 years, I've never been to a retirement party. Oh, look, that's, that's great. Well, why do you think that is? Do you think <laughs> because it's because, like, most people kind of exit the agency world when, when they get older? Do you think, it, what, what are your thoughts the reason for that is? Early on, I think early on in your career, your your salary increases quite quickly, but then it, but I think it then reaches a plateau for a lot of people. And yes, yeah, some people hang around and 
are able to have the right conversations and do the right things to put themselves in a senior leadership position and stick around for a long time. But you look at the number of people that start that journey and the number of people that finish that journey, and it's obvious that there's a lot of attrition on the way between those two points. I see a lot of people that I've worked with go client side and and do really well at that and stick around um, a lot longer. I've seen a lot of people I've worked with try and start their own agencies with, you know, some have been very, very successful, others sort of haven't been. You know, I see, uh, you know, when I look around the market, I see this kind of late career malaise that happens, <laughs> that um, people aren't working for other people anymore because they're sick of the bullshit. They're too expensive really to hire anyway, but they've got to sort of, you know, fight the fight, you know, as independent consultants, and that's really hard, you know, um, unfortunately. And some of these people are incredibly talented, incredibly smart, very charming, all that good stuff, like great experience. But it just gets to a point where <clears throat> the people buying the service and the people, you know, and aren't buying, you know, people like that or aren't, um, I suppose, putting value on some of that depth of experience. Um, so, so I think that's, that's, that's the con. The other thing is that agencies, as I've been part of them, have often been, um, have often had very high service cultures, which means they say yes to everything. Um, very high service cultures, but very poor kind of discipline in regards to kind of project management and, you know, resource planning and those kinds of other things. So what it ends up, what ends up happening is that you've got a kind of unhealthy relationship with work kind of in, instilled by the culture, you know. And so uh, that would be, a, you know, a significant con, I think. Although, you know, I work very hard and I've always worked very hard, so it's not really about that. It's about whether you have an opportunity to take a mental health break or have control over that relentlessness or not. Or is someone else committing your time ahead of time to doing a lot of things? And if you don't do that stuff, you're going to get fired. You know, even even in an environment where you can easily go out and get another job, that's still um, a threat to be taken seriously, and it's still a you know an impact on you. Yeah, absolutely. sort of mental well being. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's very true. And and I think you know it's it's hard in agency world. I mean, I, we we try to do a lot of work on on in terms of like capacity planning and what what the model is in you know in the, on the agency side, but. It, it has definitely taken us some time to get here and we're, we're not perfect. So I, I can totally see what you mean on that, on that front. What? Yeah, look, there's, what? There's, there's definite incentives for agency leaders to juniorize because they can take a young, enthusiastic person, they can give them a, a, a job title promotion, pay them the same, charge them out at a higher rate and just push them harder. <laughs> you know, because when you give kind of a, a junior person, a head of department kind of role, or a or a second in charge kind of role, or whatever, they're going to work bloody hard to keep that, but they're going to be drowning, which has happened to me in the past as well, you know. And and so I think there's a there's there's an onus on I think both sides of the financial exchange there between the client and the agency. There's an onus on the agency to um, you know accurately represent. I suppose the workload that their team's doing, the skills and capabilities of the team, and you know accurately represent that to the client. But there's also um, <clears throat> you know responsibility on the client side to look at what you're asking of people and to try and understand whether they're the right people for the job. And you might say, well, it's up to the agency leader and it's up to the senior client leader to make sure those things work. But if one's demanding too much and not caring, 
you know, if one's demanding too much of people or the client's demanding too much of the agency without caring about all of that sort of stuff, then all it means is that the pressure is just applied to the people within the agency who may not have the skills, may not have the, you know, the kind of gravitas of being, being around a bit longer to negotiate their way through it. Yeah. Or um, I mean, and they, and and they I, suffer. And I feel like this comes down to lack of um, kind of resource planning that you mentioned earlier. Because that's not there, there's also hard to argue. Hey, can you do another 10 hours this week? I don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. Just put it in. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of goes hand in hand, in my experience, showing the client where you create a proper timeline and, and Gantt charts and, and resource planning and you show it and you're like, well, it's not what you're asking. It's not really possible with, uh, you know, this timeline is not going to happen. You, you, you're, you're cutting down on a bunch of feedback sessions and a bunch of this and a bunch of that. Um, and, and I think that, but, but also the agency needs to bring that maturity to the table. And if they don't do that, they don't, don't, if they don't, then they get pushed around. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I, I've seen the best work come out of agencies when there's been a long-term commitment to the agency by the client and where they've been able to set the foundations and the ways of working and the mutual understanding of how each other operates, you know, early on in that relationship. And there's been enough supply of work through that relationship to keep, you know, a kind of core group of people on the, on the agency side busy and, you know, deliveries coming through into the client side so that the CMO can justify the spend. Um, I think when it's kind of, and, and we've, Versant has struggled with this in the last, in the last year when the, the briefs are too few and far between and the budget's too low and there's no continuity. It's very, very hard to get work out of an agency. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, well, you know, that, that's sort of meeting meeting the kind of standard that you want. What about some of the benefits? Let's, uh, let's, let's ta- turn the table and talk about what are some of the benefits of someone who's in the job market looking at an agency role versus a client role uh, going on client side? What are some of the benefits have you seen working on the agency side? We've talked about a few of these. The community piece is definitely, you know, is definitely there. Um, but what are some of the other things that that you, you see are kind of the benefits of of being in the agency world? Yeah. So the f- the first benefit is deep growth in a discipline and, and deep kind of when you're starting your career. And oh, speaking, you know, from my own perspective. Starting my career, I had no understanding of project management. I had no understanding of what it's like to turn up to work at 9 a.m. every day and leave at 5 every day. I once got told off wearing shorts in the office, which probably wouldn't happen now, but, you know, like dress, all that sort of stuff, all that kind of becoming an adult, you don't know, (laughs) right? So you've got to learn all of that. And you'll learn that whether you're in client side or you're in agency side. You'll probably learn it in a different way, but, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll learn all of that. The next thing above that that you need to learn as a practitioner is a discipline. And I think a foundational discipline that becomes a reference point for the next 10 or so years of, of your career is, is really important. And so being in an environment where you can learn a discipline, you can basically learn a trade, is, is, really, is really, really important. I think early on in my career, someone said, well, if you go client side first, you'll get depth in a category. And then you can go agency side and get breadth across that category, which is kind of the consulting model. If you think about the way, you know, Deloitte or PwC or what work, they have industry specialism, which allows their organizations to go broad. And they, you know, they either hire direct grads to kind of learn that or they hire people out of industry that have depth of experience in that industry. 
Whereas I went, I did it the other way around. I went agency side and now I'm kind of operating in a, in a client side environment. So I've gone breadth first over a practice. And then I've gone into that practice in depth uh, within client side. So, but, but I, I feel like um, depth in a discipline is, uh, has been really valuable for me and then growing that out into depth across other kind of practices um, has been, has been um, really valuable. Um, and I think, you know, depth and discipline is great, but don't forget that you need also breadth across practices. Um, I see plenty of very senior people in agencies um, who are incredibly what they good at what they do in that practice, but are massively ignorant about other disciplines mm-hmm. around the table. You know, yeah, this is like what we talked about, right? Is this is this the similar like the the creative and knowing about the you know the digital component? Is that is that what you mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like you, you can be leader of a you know brand agency, but you'll benefit massively from understanding what goes on in media and how what what the difference is between good media planning and bad media planning, and how that can help you as a brand creative agency leader, whatever the practices demonstrate effectiveness and demonstrate impact on the client's commercial bottom line if you don't have that understanding you're not going to be able to do that so you're going to be missing an opportunity if you don't understand if if you're a brand leader and you don't understand digital then you're going to miss opportunities to create amazing customer experiences for your client you know may not be quite as relevant now but certainly if you wind the clock back even five years, it was it was the case, and then I, I think in terms of collaboration, it means you just can't collaborate in the right way. So, you know, every agency, every business, really, every business is there to drive value to their customers. That's the only reason customers pay for stuff is that you're driving value for them. Whether you make watches or you do B two B marketing or you do you produce creative, you've got to deliver value to your customers. And my belief is that. Cross training allows you to more be more nuanced and be more kind of uh, fully across the opportunities that your business can use to deliver value to your customers, and you know, and so that means more revenue into the future. It means um, it's harder to swap out from your business into a competitive business, um, those kinds of things. And so, if you think about strategically leading the agency, I think that breadth is really important in terms of mapping out areas, you know, good areas of adjacency that you can go kind of uh, kind of build your business into uh, i've seen lots of really like finger in the wind pie in the sky kind of decisions about where agencies are going to go in terms of adjacent business areas and, and a lot of them have failed or they've really struggled for years because of this lack of understanding of other practices so deep growth in a discipline is an advantage but it's also ca- can be catch 22 um, i think variety is really valuable uh, and i think because you're always able to move on to another client or project, it keeps the job interesting. It keeps the job exciting. It means that there's always opportunity to kind of try something that's, you know, a tiny little bit beyond your capability and kind of grow your capability in the process. Um, and it also means you get really great views of different categories in market and different marketing teams, which it feels to me like when I look at the, cl- at the job roles or job descriptions that recruiters put out, for client side roles, they just miss, they miss that aspect of being in an agency, which is, you know, I've seen hundreds of marketing teams work. And, and so I know, I know which ones are good and which ones I want to 
model from and I know which ones are bad and that I'm going to avoid <laughs> at all costs, right? Um, I also know how to take lessons from FM, F, FMCG and apply it to B2B because people are people and there's a lot of transferable knowledge. But if I'd only worked, you know, B2B tech in my career, then I would have a very, very small subset of examples I could draw from. But in my current role, you know, drawing from this, you know, as I said, hundreds of, maybe not quite hundreds, but maybe a hundred clients over, over my career, I can really draw a lot of experience from a lot of that stuff. And, um, and that's really valuable. Yeah. So I, I really like that. Yeah. I really, I really like what you, what you say over there, the breadth. I mean, we kind of see that the, the client side versus the, the agency side, it's, it's um, like you said, it's lonely and therefore you don't have ways to kind of cross check something where a lot of our clients are like, what are other companies doing on this front? Like, you know, like, okay, we're, we're, we're thinking of this. Can you tell me a little bit about other companies that, that are kind of tackling this? And you, you kind of realize there, it's just, it dawns on you that, wow, like they don't have any visibility on this where we kind of take it for granted and we like, we jump from this client to the other one and, and, and so on and so forth. And that is definitely not the case on the, on the client side, but um, no, really great point. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think agency is actually a really good place to start your career, but, uh, but understanding what you're getting when you do it and, uh, and sort of what that means is that you have to look after your, you know, you have to look after yourself and your career every day. So you need to understand what you're getting, but also what you're not getting and what you need to kind of make sure the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 15 years is going to be, you know, okay for you. What are some of the red flags that people should look for in the agency space, right? So you talked about there are agency leaders that you know, you stay completely clear from, and then there are others that um, uh, they're, they're great leaders. Uh, are there other things that are red flags when you look at an agency? If you were thinking about working in an agency, right, there are red flags and you're like, oh, I'm not so sure if I want to work in that environment. What, what comes to mind? So the first thing I'd say is if you're starting your career, just get any job you can. You know, like, don't worry about filter. I mean, beyond like your physical safety, just don't be, don't, don't bother about filtering too much. Just get the first job. Once you've got the first job, you're on your way and you, you, you're going to have, even if you're only there three months, you're going to have just a thousand times more experience than you have kind of, kind of entering into your career. The, the red flags. I mean, I think I've worked with great leaders, really, really, really seriously great leaders in the past, and I've had really great um, relationships with them, and I've worked with some some other leaders that I haven't got on so well with. And, you know, sometimes those two polar opposite kind of points can be the same person. <laughs> you know, someone can... Uh, well, I can, I, can, I can start work at an organisation and be... And, and it's going along, and, and in some cases it's gone along exceptionally well for years. But then slowly over time, priorities change and it turns, um, you know, uh, and and so it's not about someone's innate personality or innate leadership quality. It's about there's al there's also a large component of it, which is about the context, I, I suppose, of the organisation. I think it's really hard to evaluate an organisation from the outside. I think you don't really know what you're getting until you've been in the seat three months. Generally, when I'm thinking about a role, I will 
use my network to try and connect with people and say, well, what's it like working there? I did that recently. I was approached about a CMO role and I used my network to, you know, evaluate whether I wanted to go for it or not. I kind of already had my gut instinct, but, um, you know, my network basically said, no, you'll want to kill yourself after six months. <laughs> so I didn't go for it. Um, I, yeah, I think it's really hard. I, I, I do think, you know, there's a, there's a few things that I, I look out for. I look out for mature leadership. I, I worked at Cleminger at a time where we had really, really senior leadership and it felt like, like the ship was being steered by, you know, a, a salty sea dog. <laughs> a salty sea dog. Salty sea dog. Oh, you know, like an experienced ship captain I know, that's I seen know all weathers yeah, yeah. And, and all that sort of stuff. And and Cleminger at the time just felt like they knew exactly why they were doing everything they were doing. They knew how it all connected together and they were a well-oiled machine. And there would be people who, you know, may, may <laughs> not, not agree with me. But that's how I felt at the time. And and I felt really, really good about working in all. So, so senior leadership is, is, is really important. I think leadership that's open for conversation and discussion and, and, and doesn't bring too much of themselves to the table, actually. I think leadership's often about removing yourself from the table rather than it being all about you. If, if you have a, you know, if you're speaking to a senior leader at an agency who wants to be a celebrity, it's probably not a great environment to work for. You know, you need to have a leadership that's about building building a solid and ongoing business, and building a culture that is, you know, um, extremely productive and high quality and um, delegates authority and those kinds of things. The bad leaders I've seen don't delegate authority; they hog the limelight. They bring all of the decisions to themselves. They put themselves in the center of the organization, and it just means that um, everyone's sort of stepping on eggshells all the time and you know, not not really sure at the start of the day what they're going to be doing at the end of the day because everything's quite reactive. So those kinds of things would um, would be watch outs. I, I, I'd also sort of try and look, well, do I think the, do I think the organisation is successful? And you can sort of judge that it's a surface level thing, but what do their offices look like? Well, you know, does it look like it's taken care of and there's money flowing through the place or does it look like you know, they're an organisation in a backyard garage with holes in the walls and whatever. You know, and I, I think that the, the environment you give your your teams and the respect with which you, you know, treat your, you know, your future business is, um, you know, sort of indicated by the quality of the surroundings. I love it. I love it. So, it sounds like your your kind of recommendation and advice is for someone who's kind of getting into the space is to or, or, or for, for someone young is to is to explore agency world um is that is that is that a correct assumption or, or correct deduction from from our conversation yeah i mean I, i've found agency world to be very exciting <laughs> and very exciting socially as much as professionally and i thought the variety was great um I, obviously i can't talk to building a career within the client side um, I think there's benefits, there's benefits to that, but it sort of depends on what you want and depends on whether you're someone that's driven by that kind of culture and excitement and stuff, or whether you're someone who, um, you know, I suppose is less, uh, driven by those things and more driven by, um, working for a big business. Got it. Got it. Okay. Tim, 
before before we kind of wrap up, I want to I want to touch on a little bit of client side, right? And and do a bit of pros and cons of well, what are some of the things to for people to keep in mind on the on the client side, right? So let's let's maybe let's maybe start with the uh, with the uh, with the pros. What, what what are some of those things on the client side that, that you think are important for people to take into consideration? Yeah, um, well, the first one would be ownership. You know, you get to own the impact of the things that you're working on. That could be good or bad. If they're good impacts, awesome. If they're bad, not so good. Um, but, you know, ownership as a professional, wanting to build a professional body of work and, and have my professional capabilities, you know, kind of mean something at the end of the day. Um, ownership's really important to me. And so... I see a lot more ownership possible uh, on client side than agency side. I think I've been guilty of over-owning stuff on the agency side in the past. <laughs> yep, but but certainly on the client side ownership. I think the other thing we, I, we mentioned before, we talked about horizons. I, client side, I think, can just see a, a longer horizon. You can see what we're trying to do with the brand, what we're trying to do with sales, what we're trying to do with... Um, you know, all sorts of different things, the, the, the marketing operating system, all that sort of stuff. And so I think that kind of horizon is a lot further out and you can take delight in seeing yourself move towards that horizon, whereas agency can become about, you know, building boxes and shipping them <laughs> a, a lot. And I think it gives you cross... Interestingly, client side offers an opportunity for cross-training a lot more than, um, than agency does because you'll have media conversations and you'll have digital conversations and you'll have all this sort of other stuff. But those, but that, that kind of cross-training comes with a negative side, which is a lot of client-side marketers I see, they can slip into being a project manager and be really great at understanding how to operate a marketing project, but, but, but then have to rely on their agency outsiders to make a lot of the big strategic decisions for whatever they're doing. And I think what that means is that they're, Missing an opportunity, A, to get really good themselves, and B, you know, it, it means that having an outside party drive your strategy is not always bad, but it can be quite bad because sort of start to get quite fractured and distanced from what the organisation's actually trying to achieve. So, so that's sort of a double-edged sword there. Cons would be, as I said before, nobody outside marketing understands marketing, or at least you have to assume that, right? So they see... Most people see marketing as comps. Most people see marketing as advertising, or as I like to say, sticking your logo on things. M most people in organizations with PL responsibility are su uh, suspicious about what, what marketing is, what marketing does, and the impact that marketing has on their organization because they're holding a purse strings and they're seeing marketing as a cost, not an in investment. You know, and, and I think you can, you can turn that ship around. I've seen that ship turn around, but it takes time. And so... Because they see it as a cost, they don't necessarily care about it. Because they're not marketers, they're not interested in going to the depths of the nuance around brand equity and strategies around all that sort of stuff. Um, they just want sales, you know. And so even though you can kind of try and hold the tide back in some ways, you've got to let some of it through and focus on sales to build your brand equity within the organization so that you can kind of build a marketing team into the future. So it's kind of this kind of vacuum of professional kind of, uh, what did I call it? alliances professional community is is like it it fits right through the marketing team um if the culture is wrong um you know as i said but when you have wins they may not be attributed to marketing they may be attributed to other things <laughs> so because so ownership know, is great but uh you might you <laughs> might other people might not see you as the owner 
Yeah, so an example would be, you know, in this role, I've increased the number of inbound leads by 76 times this year. <laughs> massive, massive, massive increase. But the jury is still out more broadly as to whether that's been marketing driven or not. Mm. Yeah, I think it has, is my opinion. Right. Um, so, so, you know, just because I've done a great job there doesn't mean that everyone thinks I've done a great job. So, so the other thing is when you have losses. So when you have wins, it's not necessarily about you. When you have losses, it's always about you, <laughs> right? Um, you might say, well, um, you know, it's because we tried to do this thing and we didn't have enough money or we didn't have enough people or we didn't produce a commercial outcome because of the funding that you guys gave us last year. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. doesn't matter it when doesn't it's matter. done. It's, uh, yep. You know, the history, the history of what's gone on in, in the business prior to you getting there doesn't matter. It's all about here and now and what are you doing now? You know, and so it can be brutal as well, particularly if I was brought into Versant to, in some ways, reshape marketing, deliver greater value through the marketing discipline within the organization. So I'm on a transformation journey of my own with them to get from a point where marketing wasn't doing much and was the petty cash tin in the organization to a point where marketing is really a force for commercial growth. But on that journey, you know, that journey, um, it's like uh, uh, William Gibson, you know, the future's here, it's just not evenly distributed, right? The future's here, we're doing some great stuff, but we're just not seeing the results quite yet or pe people aren't seeing the results quite yet. They're there in front of them, but they're not understanding them yet. So it's a journey of transformation. Got it. That's a that's such a great list of of things to take into consideration, and uh, I think the ownership is obviously quite big. The horizon is quite an interesting component, but then there is the lonely component, and then there is the um, the blames that you get. Some of the some of the some of the some of the advantages can turn into cons and and disadvantages in the agency in, in the in the client side. Now this is yeah, it's a, it's a double edged sword, and you know agency versus client side. There's no easy role. Mm. They all have their challenges and they both have their opportunities. So I think building a career in marketing is really about, first of all, getting started and then, you know, listening to the right people and getting the right level of, you know, kind of education under your belt, whether that's driven by practical experience or driven by kind of theoretical learning. Got it. Tim, this has been a pretty awesome conversation. Before we wrap up, I want to ask a couple of rapid fire questions. Okay. We'll, we'll do this really quick. So. The first thing I want to ask you is, is what is one resource that has fundamentally changed the way you you uh, you, you work or you live or, or had, a, had a profound impact on you? What comes to mind? It could be a book, a, a blog, a, a podcast, a talk, whatever it is. Okay. Well, because we're talking career, I'm going to give you a few. So starting out, 22 Immutable, Immutable Laws of Marketing by Reese and Trout. Oh, that's a it's great. an old book. Yes. But, but it's, it's great. Secondly, Truth, Lies and Advertising by John Steele. Mid-career, get an MBA at a good school. And by good school, I mean Melbourne Business School or um, Graduate School of Management in Sydney. Uh, don't worry about how much it costs because the government pays and then you take it back when you um, earn a lot. <laughs> or do a mini MBA with Mark Ritson. I did Mark Ritson's brand management course in my MBA, thankfully. Um, and he distilled marketing into the simple terms that in, 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 in a way that no one I've ever seen or read has... Um, Content is great. Yeah, wasn't he's very controversial in media, but he's actually 
his the way he thinks about things is incredibly distilled and very very powerful. And then the third thing mid career I'd say is a book called Data Smart. It's again a little bit old, probably reflecting my career, but it's basically a combination of decision sciences and data science connected with basically a kind of a training manual on computer programming. So it's practical ways of analyzing data sets with the tools, education in the tools, and the education about what the um, analysis is saying. And it's amazing. It's a real, like, it was a real pivot point for me in terms of my data capabilities. Um, and then late, late career network, that's the best network, that's the best resource you could have. Got it. Who you know, who you know. All right, sounds good. Question number two, if you could give one piece of advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? People are people. There is no playbook. Don't get distracted by the tactics and forget what the strategy is. B2B marketers are often very distracted by the tactical execution of different um, types of things, lead magnets, whatever. Don't be distracted by that. You still need to think about the strategy, how you're communicating to people and how you're trying to bring them into your world how you're helping more people understand that your organization is delivering value and kind of enhancing the, uh, the perception of that value over time. The second thing to contradict that is that playbooks can be helpful. I really like Andy Raskin's strategic narrative and I really like a book called The Challenger Sale. And I think those two things go together very, very well in B2B. Love it. Super actionable, thanks for that. Question number three. Who are some of the influencers? I mean, we've already kind of mentioned a few. Is there anybody else comes to mind in terms of influencers that you follow in the in in, in this space? Nothing, nothing, um, you know, earth shattering. Burnett Field, Byron, Burnett, Burnett and Field, Byron Sharp. Make sure you get across the work that they're doing because it's transforming marketing, and it's making it much easier to kind of connect marketing into commercial drivers of business. Um, I just follow innovators because I think innovators are really interesting to follow. I think what Musk's been doing lately is just mind-blowing, not in terms of the businesses he's, um, you know, kind of investing in, but in the way he's handling media. And what the hell was that Twitter thing, you know, and how he's stoking the fire of um, Doggycoin or Dogecoin or whatever it's called. You know, it's it's like he's, he's a really, really interesting operator, I think, at that level, at that sort of meta level. You know, I think there's a guy, Johnny Harris, on YouTube that I watch a lot. He does... Very, very interest, interesting investigative journal, um, journalism, um, and he's an amazing storyteller. Uh, and so I sort of take a lot of learnings from that. Locally, I wanted to give a shout out to some people. I think Troy Muir, who is currently the global director of digital at Movember, does an, does an amazing job at um, filling my LinkedIn feed with interesting stuff to think about, um, as does Juan Mendoza, who runs the Martech Weekly. And you'll often see me in the comments kind of throwing stuff around with those guys. Awesome. I'm just taking yep. notes to get John D's down. All right. Last question is, I mean, I know you've been in B2C and direct to consumer, mm -hmm. but now you're in the B2B world uh, in, 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 in the Verson land. And I know one of the core beliefs that you have is that, hey, people are people and, and, and there's not a lot of difference. But for, their, for their, those areas that there is a little bit of a difference, what's something that excites you about B2B today? I'd say differences at a surface level. Uh, you know, and I think if you properly cross-trained, you're going to be able to see more similarities and differences. However, I think the most exciting thing about B2B at the moment is that the, you know, um, people like Ben Ettenfield and Byron Sharp are putting some effort into understanding the B2B um, world. 
and actually their, da their data um, is showing that B2B is in some ways more similar to B than B more similar to B2C than we could ever have imagined and that emotion is more important in B2B than B2C, for example. Um, so, you know, I think for me, being in B2B is really exciting today because we have this kind of growing set of data around what good B2B marketing is and what, what um, you know, things like creativity mean to really strong B2B marketing, you know. So things like being different, being exciting, being remembered, you know, I think that's really interesting. One of the things I think about a lot of B2B categories, not all of them, but some of them, is that they're just high interest categories. It's very, very similar to buying a car. You know, when you when you buy a car, you have, you know, an interrelationship between the person who does the purchase and their partner or the kids or how they're going to use the car or whatever it is, you know, and it's a complex purchase that happens over a long period of time. B2B marketing is the same. Um, stakeholders are different, tensions are different within the stakeholder communities. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, I think these... The most exciting thing about B2B is that I hope in the next few years it becomes a lot more creative and, you know, a lot more commercially accountable at the same time. Cheers to creativity in B2B. That's awesome. Mm. <laughs> Tim, this has been an awesome conversation. I, I really enjoyed our chat and I think you, you shed some light on, on some great differences and similarities in the agency world and, and on the client side. I took a bunch of notes about the, uh, the some of the people that you recommend that I'm going to check out now. So I'm super excited about that. But uh, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Really appreciate it. No, no worries. Great to be here. This episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing and music arrangement also by Alexander Hipwell. Special thanks to Tina Wabe and Rod Hoda. We couldn't make this show without you. The show is hosted by Shaheen Hoda. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And maybe even share the pod with a friend if you loved it that much. Thanks again for all the support and looking forward to seeing you again in the next one.